0: Good morning. Happy New Year. I know you've had one service already in the new year, but I was gone, so it's great to see you in 2022. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to open this morning with a song of worship. Pam's going to lead us as we just declare the great things the Lord has done for us. God does great things. I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. Um, If this is your first time to Sherwood Oaks, we want to say a special welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Um, We do have a special gift for you at the information desk in the lobby. If you want to just stop by, it's our way of saying thank you for being with us and a way for you to learn more about Sherwood Oaks. Um, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to continue in worship. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we know you do great things and that you are faithful And the things you've done in the past, you will do again in the future. And Lord, that we can have confidence as we go into the new year. Lord, actually every day that you are with us and that you've never failed us and you won't start now. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to sing for you a new song today. It's called Firm Foundation. It just kind of underscores... um, God's faithfulness to us and how he's been faithful and he will continue to be faithful.
1: And Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand when everything around me shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he he won't. He won't. And I still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So. I
2: Good morning folks. We're like two weeks into the new year. How, how is it working out for you so far? Is it a thumbs up year so far? Okay, look at that. I see some thumbs up. Whew. You know what? What a, what a nice thing. Isn't that a good thing? God is already answering prayers, which is my really smooth and slick segue into this little jar right here. I introduced this last week. This is a, a clear jar. I don't know what it was originally used for. And inside are all these little marbles. And these marbles are not just marbles. These marbles represent something pretty significant. These marbles represent the prayers of the saints. So on New Year's Eve, we gathered here for just a time of fun and fellowship and, and, um, and prayer as we prayed out 2021 and prayed in 2022. And Darren Swengo. Uh, one of the leaders here. He's actually with the kids this week down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They've been down at a youth conference all week long. We'll pray for them at the end because they're traveling back today. He, he brought this little, sort of just a little object lesson. He says, hey, um, as you think back on 2021, think about those things that you prayed about, things that sort of weighed on your heart and were heavy on your heart. And you prayed them and you, you, you gave them to God and God answered in some way. If if God has answered those prayers, then, then I want you to grab a marble and put it in this jar. That will represent, for other people who look around, that, that will represent the answered prayers of this congregation over the last year. I thought it was a great thing to do on New Year's Eve. And I said, Darren, I think this is a good thing to do all year long. So we're going to make this a feature. I'm going to keep it out here for the month of January and then we'll move it someplace else and so it's more visible maybe out just to remind you uh, that it's here. But if there's something that, and you've not done this yet, I encourage you to. I've got a I've got a little bowl of marbles here and if there's something you prayed about this past year that God answered, man, maybe there's four things you prayed about and God answered. Maybe there's 14 things you prayed about and God answered. God answers prayer. so come down and, and pop a marble in or pop eight marbles in because here's the deal. It encourages you to remind yourself of how God has been faithful to you and it encourages others to see how God has been faithful to those in our congregation. So I encourage you to do that. Hey, let's get started. Anyone recognize this right here? Huh? What, what is this? Someone under the under the age of 12. Anyone under the age of 12 know what this is? No, you have no idea. This is a map. This is a map. And back in the olden days, when we would take road trips, we would buy one of these. And and, and this is a map of Ohio and West Virginia. So Connie Connie Clifton was kind enough. She still had one of these hanging around. She brought it to me. She goes, you can use it. You can use it. I love, I love maps. One of my favorite memories of third grade, Mrs. Carmichael was our teacher. Mrs. Carmichael, I think, was 160 years old. She was a great third grade teacher though. She was amazing. I remember one day she was writing something on the board and she had one of those old lady arms that sort of flapped. So I was always a little bit distracted. I was a little bit distracted by that. But she was writing on it and I was like, oh, that's so making notes. And then she did something amazing. She reached up to the top of the chalkboard and she grabbed this little silver handle and she pulled something down across the front of the chalkboard I thought, uh, where has this thing been on my life? It was a map of the United States. And there, and there she, she explained here how the, how the United States was laid out. And she said, now here is Indiana. And then she took her little jiggly arm and she pointed down here to Lawrence County. She goes, here's Lawrence County. This is the county we live in. And then she says, and right here is Springville. And right here is where you're sitting right now today. If you've ever wondered where your place in the world is, can I recommend getting a map? It will tell you exactly where you are in the world and your place in it. Maps orient us to where you are and, in the case of a road map, where you want to get to. When we lived in Germany, one of the greatest honors was to be asked to sit in the front seat with my dad. And whoever sat in the front seat was responsible to open the map and be a faithful and true navigator. I got to do it twice. My sister Trish on the other hand, she was the clear favorite. I was too distracted by other places on the map. I want like and Trish was like, "No, no, no. Stick stick with the plan. Stick with the plan." She's still that way today. Stick with the plan. If you're if you grew up several years back and you were part of a family who didn't care how much money you spent on a trip, unlike my my dad you went to AAA because you were a member of AAA, and you got something called a trip tick. Do we have a picture of this? Anyone, anyone traveled with a tip tick trip tick before in their life? You remember those? So yes, to me they seem like the height of luxury that someone would help you plan your trip. You would go in and they would they would put these 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 packages together, and and however long and however how however far you were traveling. Each day would be provided with sort of a, a, a section that you're going to be traveling. It would be the map, so you knew which roads to take, and you didn't have GPS, so you, had to, you followed that. They recommended route, and then, joy of joys, some hot spot destination points on the on the side that you could you could decide to go to things that were fun for the whole family like that giant ball of yarn or or that place where Sacagawea and Lewis and Clark stopped for for a fifteen minute nap I don't know but amazing things these triptychs AAA Susan said we don't they don't have these anymore but they do Susan. AAA still offers a triptych for its members, but it's a digital format now. So you get it on your phone, which makes sense, maybe not quite as much fun as something to hold in the back seat with you and entertain the kids, but you can get this on your phone and it will do the same thing. It'll map out your journey and make sure you know all the things that are there that you could possibly go see and enjoy. I suspect it probably has that little lady with the British accent. I can't imagine taking a trip without her. Um, Speaking of ladies with British accents, if you're traveling in the UK, I was in the UK uh, this past fall. If you're traveling in the UK and you start getting a little hungry and thirsty and you want to find a place to eat, well, if you're in England, you have to eat at a pub. So where's the closest pub? Well, if you look it up, this is a map of all the pubs. You are never more than 22 feet from a pub when you go to England. Look at that. That's, That's pretty amazing right there. That, those are all the pubs in the UK. Hmm. Maps can orient us. Maps can also disorient us. Take a look at this map right here. It takes a little bit of a second to figure out what's happening in this next map. Can we see it? Can we see it? Let's see it. There it is. There it is. Now, just look at it for a moment. And what's going on here? Do you see Do you see What's happening? What's happening? It's upside down. So if you look, you can see you've got, the U- you've got Canada down here in the U.S. and then the, the Isthmus and then you've got South America there. Over here in this upper corner is, is Australia. So this is like a legitimate map. Notice the letters are right side up. This is a legitimate map, but it's from a perspective that we're not familiar with. It's taken from a southern hemisphere perspective, specifically Australia. Maps can be orienting, but they can also be disorienting, can't they? Sometimes they, they, they let us know exactly where we are, and we know what to make sense of there, and other times they make us completely rethink what we thought we knew. For example, I look at that map, and I go, well, since when did we decide that north was up? When you're southern hemisphere, that concept is a little bit vague, isn't it? The other thing that maps do will, that make us rethink... I, I was looking at this one the other day. It's a map of Brazil. If you ever want to go to South America, to Brazil, I'm telling you, you need to give yourself plenty of time to explore Brazil. It's a little bit bigger than I thought it was. Take a look at this right here. This is Brazil in the red, and this is, this is the area that it covers. Is anyone besides me sort of taken aback by the sheer size of Brazil, no one else is. Okay, well that's all right. That's all right. This this next picture is not a it's not a map. Instead, it it's a clock. Can we see the clock? So uh, yeah, you might notice something a little bit different about this clock, um, but it, it's it's a it's a perfect example of reorientation. So in 2014, Bolivia reversed the numbers on its government building clock face so that the numbers ran counterclockwise instead of clockwise. Here's something that I don't know that I was completely aware of either. Clocks are, are an evolution of the sundial. Now, in the northern hemisphere where we live, the, sh- the, the shade on the sundial moves in a clockwise direction which mirrors what our clocks do. Our clock hands move in a clockwise direction. But when you go to the southern hemisphere, the shadow on the, on the sundial moves in a counterclockwise direction, making our standard clock sort of nonsensical from that perspective in places like South America. In fact, that's what one of the government leaders said. They said, we live in the southern hemisphere. Our clocks should reflect that and if nothing else that clock serves to reorient me and maybe the rest of the world to the idea that not everything that should be or, not everything should be oriented towards a northern hemisphere perspective so that's a long way to get to where we're going today in our 52 weeks of, of core concepts that we are unpacking from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, so go ahead and turn there. Matthew is the first book in the, in the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've got one of those Bibles with red letters, it's the first first book you're going to come to with actual red letters in it. So when you get there, you're going to turn to Matthew, you're going to go to chapter five, and Jesus is going to reorient us to a concept that we may think we have a pretty good grasp on already. So let's see how he's going to do it. Let's pray. Jesus, our prayer is that we would have your heart and your mind, that we would think like you, and we would see and, and understand the world, the way you understand it, that we would understand your ways the way you understand your ways. We wouldn't be confused or disoriented by it, but we would, we would, we would firmly understand the way that you work. So that's our prayer. As we open your word, we pray that you would, you would realign us, that you would reorient us to you and the ways of your kingdom. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Are you there? Matthew chapter 5? So whether it's an upside down map or a clock that runs counterclockwise, it's hard to unlearn or relearn something that we think we already know. So this is the task that Jesus has with the crowds and the disciples that, that are now sort of surrounding him wherever he goes. So today we find him on a hillside on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Here's a picture I took a couple years back when I was there. This is not far from Capernaum, where Jesus very well could have uh, gathered his disciples and the crowds around him and began to teach the Sermon on the Mount. And here's how Matthew chapter 5 describes it. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a hillside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love that he begins with a blessing. Blessed are the poor. Now, now God begins... Things with a blessing too. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, when God is creating the world, He creates the animals and He blesses them and says, multiply and fill the earth. And then He makes man and woman and He does the same thing. In Genesis 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. This This beautiful picture here of Eden where there's this harmonious system of living under God's blessing and living in God's blessing and living out his blessing. It's this beautiful harmony. And there's a a writer named James McKeon who wrote this. God bestows blessing on those who are in harmony with him. I love that. I love that idea of living in harmony with him. Now, of course, mankind does not stay in harmony with God. The result is the curse. Adam Adam and Eve disobey God, um, and it disrupts, it causes disharmony between God and man, between man and woman, between humans and, and really the rest of creation. And if this were a map, I would say that that is the lay of the land for the foreseeable future. Not that God doesn't bless. He still does. He blesses Noah and he blesses Abraham. I love Abraham's blessing. In, uh, in, in Genesis 12, God gives this blessing to Abraham and says, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. Ooh. You'll be a blessing to others. Okay. Yeah. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth, he says to Abraham, all the families on earth will be Blessed. Through you. Now, if I'm just doing a quick read of this blessing that God gave Abraham, man, to me it seems like, like being blessed means to have a, a powerful and influential family. What does blessing mean to you? Before the service, first service this morning, we gathered with uh, some of our volunteers back there and we normally share a time of prayer and communion and so I, I, I sort of unpacked this idea of blessing and we went around and just said, well, you know, what are we thankful for? What do we feel blessed about in our lives? And of course, you know, we've got grandkids and health and, and a great team and a great church. And, and I don't know, what, what, are, what do you feel blessed to have in your life right now? Anyone want to volunteer a couple of blessings? Matt. Opportunity to serve others. That is a blessing. Anyone else? Back at the back, Mark. Clara and Lucy. Uh, grandkids figure heavily into people's blessings, I've I've found. <laughs> Some of you who are retired think, you know, say, well, you know what? I've got, I've got plenty of time and and thankfully enough money to really do what I want to do with my life now. I've got good health, that's a blessing. A good job, that's a blessing. I've got a nice place to live. What a blessing good, reliable car. Those are all blessings. And they are. They're all good things. They're very, they're things that we are, we feel fortunate to have because some people don't, and we are truly thankful for them. But that definition doesn't really look that different from anyone else that you could canvass and interview around the globe. They'd all say, yeah, the stuff that we have that makes our life more comfortable and happy, well, that makes us feel blessed, and like that northern hemisphere sort of oriented map or that northern hemisphere oriented clock, well, we all just sort of think and see things the same way. That seems to be the natural way the world thinks of blessed or blessedness, which makes what Jesus then shares somewhat disorienting. where the. The clock hands move in the opposite direction. Jesus uses this word, uh, Makarios, and it's a Greek word, and it means this supremely blessed, means fortunate, it means well off, it means happy. Okay, we're tracking so far, aren't we? Blessed to Jesus means the same thing as blessed to us, but he defines it a little bit differently because he says this being blessed is to be poor, specifically poor in spirit. And no matter what you think about poor in spirit, your brow furrows and you go, mm, no, no, that doesn't sound quite right, Jesus. That seems counterclockwise. That seems sort of upside down. And, and we lean over his shoulder and we say, uh, what, what map are you using? And Jesus says, oh, look, oh, look, I'll show it to you. It's the map of the kingdom. You go, oh, tell me about that. And Jesus says, well, this is the place. The kingdom is the place where God makes his presence known. It's a place where where life and freedom and blessings abound. It's a beautiful place, he says. Check it out. He goes, but now be aware, it's different here. The sundial moves (laughs) in a different direction. Because in this kingdom, on this map, humility is the starting and the ending spot. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, traveling through this kingdom means starting and embracing humility. He uses the term poor in spirit, which is simply humbly recognizing that that we on our own are insufficient to handle and manage and present our souls to God on our own. We need Him. But Jesus says, if we start there, if we start humbly, poor in spirit, we're going to see this beautiful pathway, this sequence, this journey, this route that will take us into spiritual maturity and a full understanding of blessing. Think of it this way. When we start with poor in spirit, we recognize that there is a reason and a blessing in the next blessing. Here 's what Jesus says next he says, "Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You see when we humbly understand our place and our and our weakness in in, in presenting anything of value to God, um, when we understand that God created us lower than the angels, but we've managed to fall much much further than the angels when we have fallen far short of his glory, and the glory that He created us to live in, it should cause us to mourn. And Jesus says, you're blessed if you do. If you grieve over this loss, if you grieve over this, this deep fall, then you will be comforted. The Greek word here is means consoled. A couple of weeks back, we were in uh, the Christmas season. And we talked about Simeon, old Simeon, who, who spent all his days there in the courts of the temple, waiting for the salvation and the consolation of Israel. Simeon was promised that he would not die before he saw the consolation of Israel, and Jesus says, you will not die either. If you mourn and grieve, you will be comforted, you will be consoled. And the same Jesus who comforted Simeon also spreads his arms out and says, come to me, all you who mourn and grieve over your own sin, and you will be saved and you will be comforted. I love that once we experience that, once we experience salvation and and God's comforter through the Holy Spirit, man, we find ourselves able to offer ourselves even more fully to him without reservation. That's that picture of meekness. And Jesus says that. He says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Wow. Meekness. I don't know. I think I think many of us know people like this, meek people are the quietly useful people in our lives. They don't, they don't demand a lot of attention. They're not all about the hoopla. They just generously and graciously offer their services to whatever the need is because they understand that, that there's a nobler purpose beyond themselves. I heard someone describe it this way, and I love this picture, of a, of, a, of a dad playing with his young kids, wrestling with his young kids on the ground. Now, dad has enough strength in his arms and his legs to kick that kid clear into the backyard or to toss his kid into the kitchen. But you know what a good dad does? Not that. A good dad sort of reserves that strength and then reapplies it to a noble purpose. He reapplies that strength and that force that's sort of contained within him to actually train up his child and strengthen his child and, and get his child feeling strong and confident. He's using his own strength wisely and gently so that his child benefits. His child grows strong, confident. That's a beautiful picture of meekness. Do we have a question there in the row? I, I saw a hand. I don't know that I'll have answers, but I'm willing to entertain questions if you, if you have one, Emory. So that's meekness, and the meek will inherit the earth. God says, those kind of people are the ones that I'm going to trust with this planet. People who, who are not about their own strength, but about using it for the good of others. It says, those who offer their lives to God in this way and His purposes really have probably an a more full and complete and honest evaluation of what that offer is actually worth. Because when we offer ourselves to God, if we are meek, we understand. Mm. It's not much, honestly, at least not much apart from Him. Isaiah said it best, our righteousness, all our our positives and our strengths, the things that we love to put down on our resumes— well, Isaiah says it's, it's really just filthy rags, and I'll leave you to your imagination to figure out what Isaiah was talking about with that. But Jesus says that people who have a really clear idea of, of their value and how far they are from God's righteousness, those are people who will begin to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And he says, if you recognize that, that distance between your strength and goodness and righteousness and God's strength and goodness and righteousness, and you really grasp it and understand it, it's going to cause you to hunger and thirst after him. And and Jesus says, you're blessed if you recognize that you are starving and dehydrated without Jesus. If you hunger and thirst for his righteousness, You will be filled and satisfied with His Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I'm filled with His Spirit, I understand God's mercy and grace in a completely new way. Jesus follows up this with with this statement right here. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Man, when the Holy Spirit is filling our lives, we understand mercy differently. We understand that the mercy we have received, this amazing grace, has changed our lives so completely that we want everyone else to receive that as well. And, and we give it everywhere we can give it. Let me go back to third grade here with Mrs. Carmichael. Get out of your mind. Don't think about that right now. Instead, I want you to think about this lesson. You probably got this one too. Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed. Remember the story of Johnny Appleseed? Anyone know old Johnny? Johnny was a missionary, by the way, but we probably know him better because he, he did this amazing thing. He, he scattered apple seeds everywhere he went and planted apple trees. That was sort of his purpose and mission. That's what we know him by. Everywhere he went, he was scattering apple seeds like, like, like he was never going to run out of apple seeds. And if you've ever cut into an apple... You know why? Because within each apple <laughs> is about mm, 20 trees there. He was never going to run out. <laughs> People who understand God's mercy are like Johnny apple seeds. We just scatter mercy like it's never going to run out. We're never going to empty our bag of grace seeds. We're never going to get rid of all the mercy. Because Jesus says, the more you give it out the more I'm going to pour on you. You give mercy, you be merciful, you will receive more mercy. Man, you're very blessed, Jesus says, if you're merciful. There's a joy in just being merciful. But there's also joy in knowing that, man, the more I give it, the more I open myself up to receive it. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does pure in heart mean to you? Maybe it just means that I'm perfect, I never have a dirty thought, I never have a bad thought, I never have an angry thought. Well, pure in heart is a concept that I think we may need to have a little bit of different reorientation on as well, different orientation on. C.S. Lewis said this, I quoted this last week, I love this quote. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that idea of pure in heart really sort of is encompassed with that. The pure in heart means that it's not crowded up with, with self-focused stuff, but it is it's emptied and it's focused on one thing. One thing, seeing and knowing God. There's this, this thing that happens after our first service, where we have a ton of kids in here, and after the first service, I will, I will walk out those doors, and I'll pop my head into the nursery, and there'll be some kids that were screaming and crying and completely traumatized at the beginning of the service, but now have sort of accepted their lot. They've resigned themselves to living in the nursery for the rest of the foreseeable future, and then they see me, and they go, oh, oh, we're almost done. Mom and dad are on their way, and I'll be out there in the foyer and one of the little kids will come running out. I picture Romilly runs out and she sees Ian over there and she comes up to Ian and she tugs on his edge, and she holds her arms up and Ian picks her up and he puts her right here. You know what? I'm, you can picture it, can't you? Puts her right here. Where, where little Romilly's face is right here, tiny little face, and Ian's big, big man head is right here. And they're just right, right next to each other, face to face. And this is the picture Jesus says. He goes, man, blessed are the pure, the innocent, the totally focused on me heart, because they will see God face to face. It's a beautiful picture of blessing. The pure in heart will be lifted up face to face with God. Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they'll be called children of God. Who gets a happy and blessed life, Jesus says? Well, those who are humble enough to recognize that they aren't always right all the time. Do you have someone in your life who has difficulty with that concept that they're not always right? If you don't, it's probably you. You may be the one who thinks they're right all the time. You're not. You're not right all the time. And when you can humbly recognize that, Jesus says, hey, that's going to make you happier. That's going to free you up, and you're going to be blessed. Those people, Jesus says, who can say, I'm sorry, who can say, I was really wrong. Please forgive me. Jesus says, those people are blessed People who can overlook offenses and not get angry or outraged all the time. Jesus says, those kind of people are really blessed because they are peacemakers. There will always be people who are just on the lookout for something to be offended and outraged by. But when I look at the map of the kingdom, there is no spot there that says outrage There's no one that says, oh, if you're going that way, you got to stop at outrage. You'll love it. The kids will love it. It's fun for the entire family. No, no, outrage is not a place, is not a destination on the map of the kingdom. He says, instead, be peacemakers. You see, in the kingdom, the king is the prince of peace, and its citizens, the children of God, are peacemakers." And Jesus says, they're very blessed. So if you find all these blessings to be maybe just a little bit disorienting, maybe a rethinking of how we think about being blessed, then this next one is really going to throw you for a loop because Jesus says this, blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We began with that, didn't we? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now look, we end with these blessings and we're, we're, we're back at the kingdom of heaven again. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Did you catch that? Because of me. Not because you're a jerk because of me. But if they do, then rejoice and be glad. No one wants persecution. I don't want persecution. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to confess it right now. I do not like the idea of persecution. I do not want to be persecuted. I'm not going to go out looking for persecution. I feel very blessed if I'm not persecuted. But Jesus says, yeah, that is a blessing. But it's also a blessing if you are. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we will find out it's the same way they will persecute Jesus. Persecution is a big jump. It's a big jump from being a peacemaker to being persecuted. And we say to Jesus, "Hold, hold on. If we're humble, if we're meek, if we're peacemakers, then surely the world will love us. And Jesus says, that's, That's not how the world works. They're not reading the same map that you are. None of this makes sense to them. In fact, all of this is slightly threatening for them. Jesus says, If you're serious about me and if you're serious about living in the kingdom, then expect persecution. But he says, Rejoice, don't be afraid. Rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. Let's prepare for a time of communion, those who are going to help with that. This brings me to Revelation chapter 7. Remember, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness, for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, so the place to see sort of the culmination of the kingdom of heaven is, is found in the book of Revelation. John has this dream and this vision of, of the future, and he writes it all down, and, and we can read and, and, and study it. And in, in chapter 7 of John's dream and vision, he sees this. He sees this enormous crowd of people, and they're all wearing white robes, and he knows... Maybe by looking at them, I don't know, but he knows that they are from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they're all singing this worship song. And the worship song goes like this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We learned a new song this Sunday morning. I'm, I'm excited to learn that song right there, aren't you? And these worshipers are those who have died because of persecution. That's what the elder around the throne says. And so John says, Oh, oh. He says, Those robes that you see that are white there, they're white because they've been purified by all of that. And their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Man, just the fact that they're wearing right robes, <laughs> they've been blessed by persecution. And tribulation and trouble. And the blessing continues because the elder continues and he says, says, here's, here's what else the blessing means. The blessing means this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. That's a blessing. They serve him day and night in his temple. That's a blessing. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Well, that's a blessing, isn't it? Never again will they hunger, blessing. Never again will they thirst, blessing. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, blessing, blessing. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their good shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessing, 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 blessing. Ah! Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That sort of, that beautiful, harmonious system of worshiping and being sheltered by the one you are worshiping, this perfect harmony where God bestows, remember this quote, God bestows blessing on those who live in harmony with Him. Matthew chapter 5 is really about how to live in harmony with God and to restore harmony with creation. And we find it when we humble ourselves, when we grieve for our sin, we mourn over it, when we offer our lives meekly to God's purposes, when we have a deep hunger for him and his righteousness, when we're living out mercy and kindness and grace and we're pursuing peace, (sighs) beautiful harmony. And in the end, Jesus says, some of you will die for that. But so did Jesus. As he told us, his followers, you know, the servant isn't greater than the master. So if we're following Jesus, we can fully expect that we will experience what he experienced to some degree. And, and Jesus has already gone before and done all of that. Think about this. He humbled himself. He left the glory of heaven. And he took on human flesh. He humbled himself. He mourned over our sin. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says, how I have longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And you resist God. In the grandest display of meekness, the Son of God became the Son of Man and offered His life, His glory, His majesty, everything. He offered it all for us. And in the greatest demonstration of mercy and peacemaking the world has ever seen, with Jesus' death and resurrection, He restored the harmony between God and man and His creation. And in the map of the kingdom, it becomes very clear when you study it that there's really only one route There's one way. It's through Jesus. He's the only way to God. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you don't, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. It's not that hard. He wants to be known. Today could be the day that you make that happen. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around this table, we are thankful for Jesus. The great peacemaker who, who tore down dividing walls and made a way for us to be together with you. As we take the cup and the bread, we we humbly acknowledge and we humbly acknowledge and take ownership of our own sin. And we and we offer that to you and we joyfully give thanks that you you took us and you transformed our lives you satisfied that deep need for you and, and your righteousness with your mercy and your kindness and so this morning Jesus we gather around this table and it's a table of it's a table of um, it's a table of peace, peace that you accomplished through the work on the cross, and it's a and it's a table of blessing. It's a blessed table because you're present with us in it. You are here, not just in, in symbols, but in truth. You join with us here, and so our prayer is that as we gather at the table, we would experience you with us. We pray this.
1: Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you Oh teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you and Jesus you're my hope and stay and when when I I cannot stand
2: Can be seated just very briefly. We'll finish up here. Pretty quickly, we're going to take up our morning offering. There's, there's multiple ways to give here at Sherwood Oaks. You can do it sort of all online and automatic. We also pass the plates here. here. It's a pretty traditional way of doing it. And, and what we take up in this service are tithes and offerings. Tithes are sort of the 10% of what we bring in, our income. And offerings are those things that we're able to say, hey, beyond my tithes, here's something I can give towards. So we've got lots of things in our community that we give towards periodically. One of the ways that we make offering pretty easy, is our dollar club out there in the four-year. And the dollar club is just a way for us to give every week a small dollar. And those accumulate over time, and we're able to do something pretty, sometimes pretty significant in some individual's life because of your generosity. We, we bought batteries before. We've assisted with sheltering someone for a while. We bought some groceries. And, and folks who are going through a rough time, we've come alongside in some way with gas cards and, and help with hospital stuff. So it's pretty significant in people's lives your little dollar can make a difference your big giving tithes that makes a big difference as well sort of it's it's tied in with the purpose and the mission of our church to be more than just a gathering of saints in one location but to say hey the purpose and mission of the church is much bigger than one place. And so I want to give towards the big purpose and mission. And so your ties go towards sustaining what happens here, of course, but also to mission and opportunities all over the world. So thank you for your generosity. I'm going to pray for the offering and then just a few announcements as we finish up. Father, receive what we give and use it to bless others. You, like Abraham, you you blessed us to be a blessing. And so we want all the families of earth to be blessed because of you blessing us. May we live out as adopted sons of Abraham, live out that promise you made to him and his descendants. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned a couple of things that we want to pray for at the end. Tony Ledford, you may know Tony. He's, uh, he's the guy that sits out in the foyer sometimes. You may see him hanging out out there, long gray beard. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Tony's a great guy. I love him and love having him here as part of our church family. He had a stroke this week. He's in the hospital right now. Thankfully, he got to the hospital in time that they were able to administer some medication, that sort of arrested the effects and the impact of that stroke. But but he's he's in stable condition, but there are areas of improvement that he still needs to sort of um, uh, gain of function stuff that we need to see happening there. So, I told him we'd be praying for him. He's able to communicate. So, um, we've got some cards out at the, at the foyer, at the welcome desk. I really encourage you guys, if you, if you would, just to sign your name, let Tony know that we're thinking of him. We're going to pray for him today. We're going to pray for our kids who are traveling back from Chattanooga. They had a three-hour delay because of weather going down, so we're praying that the trip home is smooth and non-eventful. I was talking to Mark Fish before the service. Mark's family, um, uh, his parents, uh, are part of our congregation here. They'd not be able to come just because of health, and I guess they had a scare the other night and thought that maybe, maybe Dave was going to need to go to the hospital. But right now they're home. But we will, we will keep, we'll keep praying for them. And is Corey preaching a popcorn this morning? Andy, sorry, Andy is preaching up popcorn. Andy and Kelsey. One of our young men in our congregation, um, one of the blessings for Mark and Lynn, uh, Andy is preaching down at a church in uh, in Popcorn, Indiana, just south of my little hometown of Springville. So um, if you see him, encourage him. He's getting a chance to get his feet wet in full time ministry and is considering maybe God is calling in for that. So we will pray for Andy. Uh, it's 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 I'm bittersweet about it because, one, I recommended him to go down there and fill in, never thinking that God would spark something in his heart. It's like, no, we're very happy about that. Um, Anything else that we can pray about this morning? I mentioned three things, Tony, the fishes, the kids, Andy, and preaching. Anything else? This is the time to make those requests known. We're going to pray for him because I believe God hears our prayers. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we lift up our brother to you. Tony, I love how you always use him in my life to speak an encouraging word. I, I've loved watching how you have taken him into some, I guess, some pretty sort of sort of radical ways where you've led his life. So this is a new challenge for him. Um, but God, I pray that you would, you would reach into his life and his body and begin to heal him. Um, Bring him back up to full health and mobility and functioning. We want to see him back here among us real soon. Encourage him because it can be so discouraging, but encourage him with progress. I pray this in Jesus' name. I also pray for the kids as they're traveling back home. Thank you for a great week where they've been encouraged with other believers at their own age, hanging out and studying your word and worshiping and just being energized by your spirit. We pray for them as they return home that none of that would lessen, that they would bring back just overflowing joy. Thank you for those adults who went alongside and uh, were good chaperones and leaders there. Pray for pray for Dave and Phyllis Fish, and God. Just the health issues that go along with aging um, can be discouraging as well and scary for sons and children. Uh, so I pray that the peace of God would sort of over compass and overshadow all of that situation I do pray for Dave that he would regain some some strength in his leg he wants to walk around and get some mobility so bad I pray that you would honor that desire with some with some good good health and good movement in his legs God for the week ahead of us our prayer is that we would be all those things that where our sin uh, sort of uh, intrudes upon our lives and we become aware of it that we would grieve over it that we would seek to to um, To call upon your grace, remind ourselves of the mercy that you extended to us. Um, God, we want to walk humbly. We want to be peacemakers. We want to use our lives for your noble purpose. And God, if we come into situations where we face opposition, we pray that that too will be an opportunity for us to experience your blessing in the middle of it. May we model ourselves on you. We want to be like you, Jesus. So help us do that this week. I pray this in your name. Amen. Shauna's team is going to lead us out, sort of a reprise of the song we learned this morning. Uh, So you can hang out and sing with them. I'm going to head out there, and there's no kids in the nursery to harass, but I'll be in the foyer. Make sure you stop and sign a card and letter for Tony.
1: The rain came, wind blew, my house was built on you.